Welcome to the King's Church Podcast. We are an ACC church based on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. We'd love for you to join us on any given Sunday. In the meantime, we hope this message blesses you. So, so good. So good to see you today. And um, I, was, uh, I was a bit nervous today uh, because, you know, every pastor will tell you, on rainy days, uh, you don't know if anyone's going to turn up. Put your hand up if you thought you're forced to it. Your first thought this morning was, oh, it's raining. I might not go to church today. Put your hand up. There's a few of you. Praise God. Um, And, uh, well, it's good that you're here. And it's awesome. What I've learned is this. Christians are actually aspirin. So what happens is when they get wet, they dissolve. And so, and decide not to go to church. And uh, so it's wonderful to see you here today. It is so cool. Uh, Whenever we gather together, God's presence is there. uh, And it's really, really awesome. Uh, I have a a sad announcement to make today. And one of the great heroes of our church, uh, faithful members, uh, Arthur Hamblin, uh, sadly passed away away this week uh, after a battle with cancer. And he lived uh, a full life and to an old age. One of the most famous artists uh, in all of Australia and a prophetic voice his whole life. And so we want to give out our condolences uh, to the Irwins and the Hamlins today. And a number of them are understandably not here today, but they've got a funeral here tomorrow. But I just want to publicly honour Arthur uh, for all that he's done for the kingdom of God, uh, for all that he's done for the arts in our nation, uh, and also all that he's done for our church. And so I just think it'd be really cool, actually, even though he's not here, I think we should give him a round of applause as well. And... um, And I've got no doubt he would be rejoicing right now. Amen. Praise God. Well, as you would know, uh, well, as you may know, uh, over the course of the last couple of months, uh, we've been doing a series at the church uh, called Family Matters. And so we've been doing some uh, messages upon family and upon relationships. Uh, Actually, tonight, uh, if you're around for our night service, uh, I'm going to be doing a message tonight uh, called While You Were Sleeping, uh, because uh, and it's about how to find your perfect match. Uh, because Adam found a wife while he was sleeping, not while he was clubbing, <laughs> not while he was church hopping. Amen. And so tonight, uh, I'll be doing a message on that, uh, and you'll be blessed. And so feel free to come along. Uh, you might learn something. Amen. Uh, and uh, But we've been doing a series in the morning on family matters. And some of you may remember that we had um, uh, online, we had a message from a great friend of mine, Pastor Jürgen Matissius. Um, from Awaken Church in San Diego. And he preached a message, and, and in that message he mentioned how the Romans, who were the superpower of the day, the Romans had a worldview, and that was this. Strong families make up a strong state. So they were a strong nation because they valued and had strong families. Now, as I have preached here before, in the letter of Ephesians, it was written by the Apostle Paul, he borrowed that notion But instead of saying strong families make up a strong state, he actually said strong families make up a strong church. That the kingdom of God is advanced when families are actually strong. So knowing that, how obvious then it would be one of the enemy's number one tactics would be to tear away the fabric of families. Knowing that if you can pull apart families, you can almost stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. And there is over the course of human history constant attacks on the family, constant attacks at trying to pull it apart. And who knows that the nucleus of any family, the centerpiece of any family, is actually marriage, husband and wife. And so I did a message a couple of weeks ago calling Making Marriage Work uh, and didn't finish it. Uh, So I'm going to finish it off today. 
And I talked, I'm talking about seven words that make marriage work. Now, for those of you that weren't here last time, I'll give a little recap on those first four words. The first word that I mentioned last time was actually the word loyalty. Loyalty. And without trying to be rude, and now having been married 20 years, I can honestly say there ain't nothing sexier or attractive than loyalty. To know that there is someone in your life that is with you no matter what, through the ups and through the downs, who's, who's completely loyal to is one of the greatest things. And so loyalty is one of the great keys to making marriage work. Another word that makes marriage work is trust. Now, whenever trust is broken in a marriage, that's probably the hardest thing and most important thing to actually repair. That trust is one of the bonds that keeps marriage together. If one partner loses trust in the other, it makes it very, very difficult to sustain a marriage. The third word uh, that I spoke of last time was generosity. And I took that out of Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 talks about the virtuous wife, virtuous woman. And in Proverbs 31, it talks about how she takes care of the needy, but also takes care of her own household. So she wasn't stingy. She was generous to those in need, but also generous towards her own household. And I believe that generosity is a great trait to have because it's essentially and inherently very attractive. I mean, even God likes generosity. It says God loves a cheerful giver. And so generosity is one of the keys, I believe, to making a strong marriage work. And the fourth word that we used last time was actually security. And the reason being is because marriage really is built upon, because marriage is a covenant, marriage is built upon unconditional love. It's not about what can I get out of marriage. When you get married, two people come together and they lay down their lives before each other. And one of the things is that they unconditionally love them and are willing to serve. And the reason why I use the word security is because it's almost impossible to serve others if you're personally insecure. If, so, if you're personally insecure, it's very difficult to serve others. That's why it's said about Jesus Christ. It said that he knew the Father had given all things into his hand. He knew where he came from, where he was going. Then he let, went down and he washed the disciples' feet. So from that position of personal security, he was able to serve and um, to serve others. And in the same way that if people, are, if we are personally secure, secure in our identity in God, secure in Him, we will make much better marriage partners. So those are the four, four, first four words. Today I want to talk to you about the next three words. So the next word. Oh, and before I do, I might pray. How's that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I just ask and pray that today you would help us to see marriage the way you see it. And I pray and declare, Lord, that we will continue to have strong, empowering marriages in this place. I thank you and praise you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The next word that makes marriage work is intimacy. Intimacy. Genesis chapter 2, 24 to 25 says this. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then it says in verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, obviously that's referencing right there, physical intimacy, but I actually want to focus more at this point on emotional intimacy. Notice this, they were standing before each other, they were both naked and both not ashamed. So clearly they were probably in their 20s. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but put that aside, uh, they were comp there was nothing between them. There was no barriers. There was no masks. 
They were completely open and transparent with their partner, with their spouse. That's talking about emotional intimacy. That in life, who knows that, you know, we all carry around some masks and we can put on personas. Who knows that when you're dating someone, there's a whole lot of things that you don't know about them until after you get married to them. The way I put it is when you're dating someone, generally you're dating their avatar. That it's not actually the real them. But when you get to know somebody and really get to know them, you get to know them completely, both their strengths and also both their weaknesses. You can be naked in front of your spouse. Naked and yet unashamed. One of the things I personally love about marriage, there's lots of things, but one of the major things I love about marriage is that you can be married to someone and they can know everything about you and still love you. That's awesome. (laughs) That's a really, really big deal that before them, not before everyone else, but before them, you can be naked and unashamed. And we all know, we find out things about our partners that are a bit of a surprise. Uh, there's been a number of times when Trisha's felt that my mum has a lot to answer for. Because um, I grew up in the kind of house where your mum basically did everything. And um, that was the house uh, that I grew up in. In fact, I hardly ever made my bed. I, my mum made my bed. I remember one time my mum and my dad went away for three months on holiday overseas. And I didn't know how to operate anything in the house. So my mum actually printed out a manual on how to work everything in the house, including making uh, my bed. Uh, now, I was young. I was about 24. But I, <laughs> I did <laughs> I remember one time, it was probably after about the two and a half month period, I'm lying in bed and I'm scratching. I'm thinking, I'm itchy in here, what's going on? I thought, oh, maybe I'd better make my bed. And so I got the manual out, figured out how to do it, uh, and that sort of thing. And um, it was probably the last time I did it. And so, um, you know, made my bed. I remember when mum and dad, you know, she gave me how to work the washing machine, gave me this manual, all this sort of stuff. And I remember when my mum and dad came home, I thought, I better make sure I spruce up the house a bit, clean it up. I thought I had it looking pretty good. Uh, And you know how your mum is. Uh, She walks into the house. First thing she says is, what's that smell? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I just sprayed Glen 20 before you got in here. And uh, what's that smell? She's walking around the kitchen, and she walks over to the fruit bowl. And she picks up what looks like a tennis ball, because it's all green and furry. But three months before, it was an orange. (laughs) And I thought, oh, I missed that. I didn't see that. And then I married Trish. And so, um, and she saw me. You asked Trish, when she first met me, seriously, I present pretty well. Um, When she first met me, she just said everything went fuzzy around me. Uh, And like I was her vision, you know, there was a light from heaven that came down upon me. And it was like, oh, this is the man you're going to marry, you know. And that sort of thing. And, and so you would assume if God does that, that person is going to be perfect. Uh, but who knows, we serve a gracious God. Uh, and so I remember after we first got married, it became pretty apparent uh, that I wasn't perfect. In fact, it became apparent actually when we started dating. Because she noticed, she goes to me, I've never, I've never smelt soap on you. Uh, and she said, do you ever use soap? And I said, what do you, what do you mean? And um, you know, I just use water, you know, it's natural. And, um, and so she got me one of those uh, loofers uh, and got me some shower gel and that sort of thing. And so uh, that was the first time I ever used soap. And um, 
so this was after God put a light on me. You know, you would have thought if I wasn't in soap and God put a light on me, you'd see some dirt. And so, um, <coughs> and so I remember when we first got married, uh, mentioned this before, uh, she did not, well, she talked to me for the first month. And then for the next two months, she didn't talk to me and I didn't know what was wrong. And I thought, you know, God, you give me this woman, you know, and, you know, I thought you would have worked on her a bit more before you gave it to me. And, and, um, and, and I'm talking to her, and then I said, I said listen, you've got to tell me what's going on. And she said, she goes, I have purposely not cleaned the toilet bowl for the last two months to see if you would do it. And you haven't done it. And so, okay, great, you told me, so I've learnt my lesson, so I cleaned it, and um, probably now about once every six months, clockwork. Make sure, make sure, but who knows that when we get married, it's not perfect people. We see everything. And to know that you've got someone who loves you in spite of your flaws, knowing that you're not perfect, is absolutely awesome. So what that means is this, to maintain that emotional intimacy, we need to make sure that we continue to communicate with our spouse. You've heard me say this probably a number of times, but it bears worth repeating. It's one thing living with your spouse side by side, finishing off projects. It's not the same as spending that time face to face. There's such a thing as called, nowadays they term it, emotional infidelity. So what that means is there's not physical infidelity, there's emotional infidelity, whereby one spouse finds another person that they're not physically interacting with, but they're downloading all their stuff to them, sharing their life with them, and a bond forms because of that emotional infidelity. That needs to be not with a person outside the marriage. That needs to be with our spouse. So what that means is it's great that you've got the business together. It's great that you're ferrying the kids around and you're working to all the family timetables. We all, fall, we all do that, but there still needs to be that regular time, however it is, whether it be a date night or whether it be one, you know, once a week, once a fortnight, something like that, where you have that time to face-to-face -to -face talk, where you can stand in front of each other, figuratively speaking, naked and not ashamed and build that emotional intimacy. The second, the, sorry, the second thing today, but the sixth thing overall, the word that makes marriage work, is fidelity. Fidelity. Proverbs 5, 15 and 17 says, Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your, fountain, should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Now, I haven't read the entire passage of there, uh, because there are other passages which is a little bit more specific, but I didn't want on the screen behind me as it goes online to thousands of people. But basically, it is talking about physical, physical fidelity there. It's talking about physical intimacy. And so fidelity means that physical intimacy is reserved for one person and one person only. And that is actually your spouse. And the reason why, it tells us actually when we read Genesis before, it says that the two become one flesh. So it's almost like a complete merging together. And so when that actually happens, if for whatever reason you separate or if for whatever reason you're pulled apart, there's almost like a damage done on both sides. I know um, well-known speaker Alan Meyer, he talks about this, and he says that Actually, if you're engaged in physical intimacy outside of marriage, 
He says, emotionally and psychologically, you never actually really get away with it. He says, because when you do that, it's like, the mer- it's like getting two pieces of paper, gluing them together, allowing it to dry, and then pulling it apart. And then you've got a piece of paper over here and a piece of paper over there. There's not the same wholeness as there was before. That is why sometimes if they've been physically intimate before marriage with somebody else and that sort of thing, they feel they sometimes can say little things like, you know, oh, well, you know, I just don't feel like I can fully give myself because I fully felt like I'd done that before. There's something missing. That's kind of psychologically what happens. Now, not saying that for any judgment here today, not saying that for any condemnation, because who knows that we serve a God who's a restorer, uh, we serve a God who's a healer, and that sort of thing. So this is not by any way bringing any judgment to anybody. But make no mistake, once you're in marriage, there needs to be a level of exclusivity regarding physical uh, intimacy. Otherwise, there is damage. That is, and, and I personally believe that is in r- the realm of all kind of um, expression of that intimacy, even if it doesn't involve someone else or if it doesn't even hurt somebody else, any kind of that physical intimacy that takes place without your spouse creates another thing that is not good, and that is called false intimacy. So what that means is there's a false intimacy that's created. So whenever there's a physical intimacy between husband and wife, there can sometimes be barriers there because there's been an expression of physical intimacy outside of those two. And you're going real quiet. But it's important. Because the reality is, he says, the two become one flesh. It's reserved for that particular person. And it's reserved between who he, uh, between these two. And I'm not here to bring any judgment upon any person here in any particular way. But make no mistake, that is the place, the exclusivity of that physical intimacy is one of the things that will help. If there's a straying of that physical intimacy, that will surely te- that will surely be a key in pulling apart and tearing down a marriage. It's exclusively between the husband and the wife. And everybody said, move on. Next one is this. Next word is harmony. Harmony. Proverbs 27:15 says a continual dripping on a very rainy day. And a contentious woman are alike. Don't ever call your wife a drip. Because if you do, she now knows what you're talking about. Uh, here's another verse. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go. Lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. So watch this. He says, a contentious woman. So contention is like Chinese water torture. Have you ever heard of Chinese water torture? What they would do is this. They'd tie you down and they'd drip a drop right here. And you can't wipe it off. And initially it's okay. But eventually it actually drives you crazy and you'll do anything to actually stop that. That's what it's saying contention in the home can actually be like. Might not seem like much at the beginning. It continues, drip, drip, drip. There's been a number of times where I've counseled, uh, spoken to couples where all of a sudden one spouse just left and the other one didn't understand why. He might say something like, I never saw this coming. Oh, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I thought we were doing okay. Well, clearly they weren't doing okay. There was something else going on. Drip, 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 till eventually, gone. Contention 
disagreement on some things, unresolved, can actually make that happen. Not only that, it says don't make friends with an angry man. Why? Because you become angry. So anger spreads. You know, um, a number of years ago, Trish said to me, she said, Ben, you've got to understand, sometimes when you come home and you're in a bad move, it affects the whole house. She said it affects the boys, it affects our house when you come in angry. That the peace and harmony in the, in the house leaves if you come in carrying all those things. And so what that means is this harmony and peace in a home. Our home should be a refuge. If someone is, if you find that one spouse is staying longer at work than they need to or going somewhere else they don't need to before coming home because they can't stand being at house, that's not a, at the house, that's not a good thing. That harmony within the house is very, very important. I know in myself that has d- determined how I conduct myself in some situations. So even in areas of exercise, um, I exercise regularly, but really it's more for my mental health than anything else, to be honest. Um, and um, there's been, and I found for myself that probably the best time for me to exercise is after work. Remove the adrenaline. Remove the stress. So when I come home, I'm not jittery and affecting the whole household. I've actually had that happen before. I've come home, I'm just buzzing, I just can't sit still. And, and there's been the old occasion, like Trisha said, we just go and do something or go for a walk or something like that. Why? Because how I've been is affecting the whole house. That is why I do believe that it is good that as spouses, we allow our spouse to go and do things that will fuel their tank, keep them happy. So when they do come home, it's actually a healthier healthier place. There's a couple of things that I do uh, that help me like that. Uh, there's a group of guys that other pastors in the city, we go and play top golf. Uh, and, you know, I'm incredibly bad at it. Um, but we will go and play top golf, hit a few balls, uh, you know, uh, tease each other, mock each other, sledge, Aussie stuff, all that sort of thing. And, uh, and then, you know, and the problem with these guys too, they're real night owls. Uh, and so, you know, they start doing it at 9 p.m., which is around about when I'm fixing to go to sleep, you know what I mean? Uh, but I go and do that, hang out, come home, probably about midnight and that sort of thing. I would imagine that's not the ideal time that my wife would like me uh, to come home, but she knows where I am uh, and that sort of thing. But I think she appreciates the kind of husband she has after he does that. There's another group of guys I know, there are other pastors in the city. Uh, they're all southerners. Uh, and so because of that, uh, they all support the, uh, the, the, the best football code, AFL. Uh, and they're guys from uh, Victoria and South Australia, um, and um, guys like, um, you know, uh, James Turner from Hillsong, Stu Cameron from New Life Uniting, Steve Peach from uh, uh, Sunshine, Co- sorry, uh, Gold Coast um, Church of Christ, uh, and so probably uh, three or four times a season on a Thursday night game, we would go to one of the other's houses, we would watch the game the whole time, we're basically, um, you know, teasing each other and chewing the fat and that sort of thing. And, and you know, it is good because you can get to talk about people that annoy you in your church. And it's really important for them because uh, I don't have that issue. But the Hillsong guy talks the whole time. And so, and by the end of it, you don't remember the score, you don't remember the game. But you come back feeling pretty good. And you realize that's something you might need to have harmony uh, in the home. Trish does her things. Generally, it's either someone like Ash taking her out buying expensive stuff or um, it's generally got to do with spending money, to be perfectly honest, but but I'm okay. 
I'll tell you one thing she did the other day. I get on this, I, I look on my phone, our bank account, and, I, and so I'm fixing to do, you know, I'm fixing to pay the, um, you know, pay to give breakthrough offering. And then I notice that we just spent $500 that day at a Manchester place. Praise the Lord. So just ring up Trish just to make sure. <clears throat> I said, Dale, I've noticed, did you buy anything today? Oh, yeah, I bought some pillowcases. Oh, the pillowcases. It's more expensive than our bed. Okay. And uh, I said, all right. I, I, I said, she goes, yeah, I bought two sets. You know, they're really nice. You know, one thought. Give them back. I'm not spending that much money on pillowcases. And, but I thought, oh, well, you know, praise God. That's what she wants. Hallelujah. She doesn't spend money like that normally. So I just left it, you know, because you heard the saying, happy wife. Amen. And then she rings me back half an hour later. Oh, she goes, oh, Ben, I'm so sorry. She goes, I didn't realize. She goes, I thought it was a pack for $260. It wasn't. It was $260 each pillowcase. And she goes, I'll return it now. I said, praise the Lord. Happy husband. See, that's how it works. Harmony. <laughs> Amen. Harmony in a home. You want it to be that your house is the place you'd rather be. That your house is the place where you want to be. That you're out somewhere else. Say, I want to go home. Why? Because I just want to. That's my peaceful place. That's my safe place. That's the place where I want to be. Harmony. Red flag. If someone is doing everything to avoid home. Red flag. Things won't last. Harmony. Communication. Emotional intimacy. Exclusivity and fidelity regarding physical intimacy. Loyalty. Trust. Generosity. Security. Are all words that you won't find in cosmopolitan and you won't find in Australian men's health, but you will find in the Word of God that will help us to have healthy, strong, loyal marriages, which are the bedrock of family, which is the bedrock of an advancing kingdom, and that's why family matters. Amen. And so my prayer for you is this, that these things I'm so, I've said over the last couple of weeks will be manifest in your home. I'm going to pray that they're manifest in my home as well. And as that happens, I believe that God will continue to pour out blessing and favour and advance your life. So what I'd love for you to do today is this, church. Would you stand to your feet? And I want to pray for you. If you're single, no problem. One day you might be married. If you don't know how, come tonight, I'll tell you. Lift your hands to heaven, and I want to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, pray for every, every family represented here. And I pray, Lord, may these seven words, every single one of them, be represented in every household here. I pray for loyalty, Lord God. Let there be no greater allegiance than what we have with our spouse. I pray for trust, Lord God. Help us to have the character that we could be trusted by our spouse. I pray for generosity, Lord God.
that our house would not be one that is stingy, Lord God. I pray for security, Lord God. Help us to be personally secure that we might be able to unconditionally love our spouse. I pray, Lord, for that emotional intimacy, Lord God. Help us. Many of us are so busy, Lord God. I pray, help us to find that time to be able to face-to-face with our spouse, Lord God, continue to build that. I pray for fidelity, Lord God. I ask and pray, Lord, for every single one of us here. May all our physical intimacy be focused in the one area, Lord God, and that is with our spouse. And I pray for harmony and peace on every home. Lord God, just like you said to your disciples, if you leave somewhere, take your peace with you if they don't receive it. I pray for the opposite today, Lord God, because I know they've received it. I pray for every single person. May peace be in their house. May peace be in their home, Lord God. May there be harmony. May there be unity, Lord God. May their home be the number one place they want to be. I thank you and I declare your blessing and favor for every single family here in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Let's give God a hand of praise. Let's worship Him one more time. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for new messages weekly. You can keep updated on what's happening in the life of King's Church by following us on social media at King's Church GC. Be blessed.